Hey guys, this was probably the best or one of the top three uh, interviews that I have done to date. This is with Ken Coleman on the Dave Ramsey Network. Just a wonderful interviewer and conversationalist. And I don't think we I've ever really talked about the majority of the topics on this interview, which is what made it kind of so unique. We talk about the larger economy at large, different opportunities that are existing right now. And I just think overall, uh, if you get as much value out of this as I enjoyed making it, I think you guys will dig it. Enjoy. I would rather have died then let him be right. I could not accept an existence where I would have to come back with my tail between my legs. And then if I had not succeeded there, I would have basically had to become his slave for the rest of my life. The wealthiest people in the world see business as a game. This podcast, The Game, is my attempt at documenting the lessons I've learned on my way to building acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. My hope is that you use the lessons to grow your business and maybe someday soon partner with us to get to $100 million and beyond. I hope you share and enjoy. I want to talk to you uh, about another very important topic. I think we're probably very much in agreement. And it, it, if I could gather every young person in the room, and I only had one message, this might be the message. And I'm going to tee you up. And actually, the data bears it out. Uh, Harvard, <laughs> of course, everybody knows Harvard. Uh, they've they have got the longest study ever done on relationships. They follow people from birth to death. People are still in the study and alive, of course. And um, one of the uh, professors who uh, was leading the study said this, that the study proved to them with data that is indisputable that 95% of our success or failure in life, Alex, is directly related to the people we spend the most time with. Um, and of course, you know, you know, Jim Rohn, legendary motivational speaker said, you know, the people you've spent, five people yeah. you spend the most time. So that's anecdotal as well. But the reality is, is when you think about failure in every area of our life, relationally, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, professionally, I mean, this is so, so true. And yet I feel like we walk around like zombies, you know, just doing our thing, hanging with the people we hang with, and we don't take critical inventory of the people we spend the most time with. Thoughts on friends in your life, people around you, how guarded are you? And I don't mean like from a privacy standpoint, yeah. but I mean with your time. No, so I am, and maybe it's because I'm still young, but I am pretty ruthless when it comes to the people that I have in my life. Yeah. And I tend to have a relatively contrarian view on relationships, which is that I do believe that all relationships are transactional. It sounds hard to say, but if you never got anything positive at some point, most humans will cease to continue the relationship. And so if we think about human behavior in terms of reinforcers and punishers, because mm -hmm. those are the only two things, sticks and carrots, right? The people that we've had a longer period of time with, we are willing to wait a longer period of time before we are reinforced to continue to spend time with them. So we will wait longer periods of time before we get another carrot, which then kicks it out again, right? For the next carrot to come. And so for me, when I look at the relationships that I have, I try to cut off the backside, which is I don't want to make keep a relationship because I have always had it. I don't want to give value to something because it has existed, mm -hmm. but only insofar as it will continue to add value and more so that it is aligned with where I want to go. Right. And so if I feel, at least as I see them, the people or actions we take are either going to get us closer or further to, from our goals. That is all. And so I want to stack the deck in my favor with the most amount of people who help me get the furthest or closest to my goals uh, compared to other things. And so oftentimes, at least in my experience, the higher up I've gone on at least the material ladder of success, the fewer people can hang. Um, and it's because of maybe their skills, their character traits, their beliefs. If I feel like I am overwhelmingly 
giving in the relationship and there are there's really not much that comes back over an extended period of time my time to cut the relationship has just decreased over time yeah. and a lot of this i think i i read some studies of, of older people because i like studying elderly a lot because i think that they have some perspective yes they um, do. the gen z i feel like y'all should y'all should listen to old people they really should um, yeah but if you see a happiness curve on subjective well-being it's actually like a smiley face so People are happiest when they're like 10 years old <laughs> yep. and then they go slow and steady down where they, they, the, the value of despair is like 45 to 55. Wow. And then they start to come up the other side once they get into elderly and retirement age. And one of the biggest things that they attributed it to is that the things that relationships and circumstances that people used to deal with or suffer through, they would say they literally didn't have time for that. They're like, I only have 10 years left. I don't have time for Susie. She's she's negative. She's always talking smack behind my back. Rather than keep this relationship, I just make more time for the people who don't. And I think that if I am going to be that way eventually, I might as well enjoy the benefits of making those types of decisions now, despite it not being in vogue. Yep. Well, I think that's absolutely right. I and mean, that's incredible. Uh, let me ask you this. How would you define a person who would be called a friend of Alex, what do they need? What's that transaction need to look like between you and them? Yeah, a high ratio of positive exchange per unit of time. So fancy for they need so, to lift you when you're around them, not suck the life out of you. Per the amount of time that, so like if I have a relationship that I only, uh, you know, we text once a quarter mm -hmm. and it's always something cool or something interesting, very low time investment, but low low positive back but still positive right yeah. so i think it's just the ratio of gotcha i mean this is what you put in versus what you get out so a friend would be somebody who has a high ratio of what i put in versus what i get out exactly but 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 i mean in, what would you say your circle of close friends is right now what would you, what's the number how many how many people if i'm hanging out with you and i and i'm around you 30 days and i go okay he's got three close friends he's got five seven ten what is it three yeah that's that's what the data shows let me ask you this how many of those three close friends go way back more than 10 years? None. That's what I thought. My wife's seven, if that counts. No, but. it doesn't count. She's your wife. We can't, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, then two. Two. Okay. Yeah. Okay, two. And um, do you think that that is healthy? Would you like it to be more? Is it just perfect? I don't ascribe a label to it. Good. So it just is it, what it is. It's the rhythm you're in and the pace you're running. I enjoy the life that I have. And um, if I had no friends and I enjoyed the life that I have, that I, I would be fine with that. And if I had 20 friends, I would enjoy the life that I had. So I, I think a lot of, I think a lot of mental duress comes from ascribing a positive. It's like the weather, like is, is too rainy and is five sunny or is it just, yeah. they just are that way. And yeah. this might also be a season of my life that I'm in a little bit more of a building season yeah. and I might not have as much extracurricular time that I can allocate towards friendship. So maybe my ratio for friends is higher now than it might be in the future. I don't know. I suspect it'll raise, honestly. Mm -hmm. But, and I just wanted to add one caveat to the friend, uh, friend comment. I believe just like capitalism where both people, you know, one person buys and the other person gives a product and both people say, thank you. That in an exchange with a friend is my hope that both of us are better off. It's not just like Alex taking, That's because right. then they would, they would be justified in saying that they should I would say you shouldn't be friends with me if I'm only taking from you. And so the hope is that at least with the relationships that I have that I frequent most often, that the exchange makes both of us better. 
Yeah, I I, I want to go. Let's go deeper on this because I get this call a lot on the show. It sounds a little bit like this, and it's fun. I'm going to tee you up for what a call would be for me, <laughs> and instead of me telling you what I say, I want to know what you say. All right. So it goes like this, uh, Alex. I've, I've got some tension with family members, and uh, I I know what I want to do. I know why I want to do it, uh, but they're not very supportive, and it's killing me because because it matters a lot to me. And I'm torn. My heart to do what I believe I'm supposed to do, but then my heart for my family. It's an open-ended, and of course, I dig in. Where do you go with that question? So I'd say first we have to define some terms. So the first one is, at least for me, is that um, love is defined as what you're willing to give up to maintain something, as I define it. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, if you have a project car, if you've ever worked on a car or something for a long time, it's like, man, he must love that thing because... He works on it forever and doesn't do anything. Like, I'm willing to incur lots of cost before a carrot because I love something. I'm willing to sacrifice a lot in order to keep it. So I think the question for the person would be, which are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice your dreams? Or are you willing to sacrifice a certain amount of influence that your family has over them? And so I think that if we can divorce, like, you can still have people, you can still have a relationship with people, but they don't necessarily need to be the majority of your time. And so if you have people who, I like fast forwarding because I'm a big frame guy. So it's like if we're 85 years from now and all the people that were in your family who are older than you are now dead, because they will be, Uh and you have not realized the dreams or even attempted to because of the fear of their judgment, how would you feel? Okay, scenario one. Scenario two, you do pursue those dreams and you don't have the family at the end of your life, but you did accomplish them. Which one do you feel better with? Now, there is a third path, which is you start pursuing the dream, and then they change their opinions and catch up with you, which yes. is the vast majority of the time. That's correct. Right? Because we'll be real. Materialism is a real thing. Status is a real thing. If you kill it, they will want to. They will want you in their group. That's right. It's just that oftentimes it's the crab, the crab in the bucket scenario, yeah. where one crab wants to get away, and the fact that they're trying to that you're trying to spin out of the circle of mediocrity that they are in you make them feel bad about themselves. And so that bad feeling, they project back onto you and it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. It has everything to do with them. And so for me, I'm just, I am I am ruthless in terms of what I am willing to sacrifice for my goals because I do, at least in my opinion, in my worldview, if I provide enough value, I will always have access to those people if I desire it. I, I agree. I, I couldn't agree more because I think what happens is, is we, if we choose temporary disappointment, of the family member over long-term resentment. Well said. Uh, then I think what's going to happen is they're going to say, all right, I'm disappointed, but I'm happy for you. And just like the crab, we pull them. And we've got to choose that, the the gravitational pull that we can have on our loved ones. Can uh, I tell a quick story here? Yeah, I, I want you, you to. Yeah, like go for it. Yourself. Yeah. And I think you said it way better than I did, by the way. Um, when I, when I, so I, I did everything that my dad was, you know, told me to do. So I, I finished Vanderbilt in three years. Wow. Uh you know, with all the all the honors and all the yeah. stuff, and president of the of well, the fraternity, I was vice president of the powerlifting club. Like I did, you know, I did all the things, right? And then I got the swanky consulting job uh, right out of college for for two years. And I remember uh, thinking, like, is this it? You know what I mean? Because I was 21 at this point. I'd graduated college. I had the good job. I had my own condo that I had bought because I'd saved the money. And I was looking out over the the high rises, and I was like, is it just more of this? Is this is this it? And I knew that I was not satisfied with the job that I wanted. I knew that I wanted to start a business. And every time that I'd gone to tell my dad that that's what I wanted to do, he would end up talking me off the ledge and saying, no, you know, 
we will go to business school and then you'll go you'll go you know back to the management or you can go to investment banking if you want to do that and then and then after that you'll save some money and then then you can start a business right and it got to the point where i was so incredibly depressed that i wanted to not wake up every day so mm -hmm. i would go to bed hoping that i wouldn't wake up and for me many of the biggest decisions in my life have come down to life or death and i say that only as a decision making filter not that you know i was at this crossroads but death for whatever reason is very motivating for me and so the the conclusion that i had to come to for me to make this move despite my father who had a tremendous amount of influence over me um especially at a younger age was i can either die to him or i can die to me wow and so i knew that by leaving this path and quitting and then starting a gym which is kind of like the electrician job that's a right trade. yeah especially in the Middle Eastern world where you can be a doctor or an accountant. You know, I mean, me being in business was already like kind of, I was pre-med originally, you know what I mean? I just convinced <laughs> him. I hated, I hated medicine. I had no desire to have his life. Because um, his plan for me was that I was going to take over his practice. Sure. That was the whole the whole deal. And it made sense on paper. The guy makes a million bucks a year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's like, you could inherit it when you're 29, make a million dollars a year. He's like, why would you not do Like, and I get the argument. Yeah. But I would have been dead inside the entire time. Yeah. And I would have been, would have been in prison for my whole life. And so... Hmm. When I did make that move, and this is for, for everybody who's looking for the happy ending, it did make a huge fissure, you know, or a huge gap in our relationship. Sure. And for years, uh, we didn't, we barely, we barely spoke. And it was only after not only that I had made more money and then made more money than he'd ever made, was did the did the dynamic shift yeah. to one where he respected what I had done. And it took probably almost a decade, you know what I mean, for that to actually happen. Yeah. And so I will say that if you are going through this and you feel dead to yourself in the current existence in the current path, it will not get better. You will only have put more time in burning at you know bur burning time of your own life that is limited That's right. to, to fill someone else's dream. And it was his dream of what he wanted for my life as it reflected on him as a parent. Oh yeah. And I get where he was coming from. So it's like you can understand why they have this this belief and then yet also disagree with it and act in according to your belief and so that it's just i it's it's very real for me because i went through that it was very 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 hard for me yeah. it was probably the hardest it was the hardest decision in my life was disobeying my father because it was like disobeying it sure. wasn't just like sure it was i was being disobedient and then doing this on my own and i i to show how much influence my dad had over me i only called him to tell him i was doing this when i was six dates away I started driving. I was in Ohio or something, and I called him to tell him that I had gone. And he said, hey, just come back for lunch. We'll talk it over. Because it was always the same thing. Oh, you know, Alexander, because that's what he calls me. Alexander's having one of his little fits about life. You know, he'll come back. I'll talk him out of it. I was like, I'm gone. He was like, what? and then then the flip switch. Then it was like, why do you got to be so crazy? You're always so extreme. You always have to, you know, all these things. And um, it stayed like that for a while. But like at that point, then that was where the fear came from, where the fear of him being right. And then that was the big driver for a very long time was that even when things were so hard for me in the very, because they were very difficult for me in the beginning, I just, I would rather have died than let him be right. Mm. I could not, I could not accept an existence where I would have to come back with my tail between my legs because what would have happened is if I had not succeeded there, I would have basically had to become his slave for the rest of my life. At least that's how I saw my life playing out. Sure. If I had not been able to make this work, and so I just, I just, I did everything. I just couldn't go back to that. Mm. Real quick, guys, if you can think about how you found this podcast, somebody probably tweeted it, told you about it, shared it on Instagram or something like that. 
The only way this grows is through word of mouth. And so I don't run ads, I don't do sponsorships, I don't sell anything. My only ask is that you continue to pay it forward to whoever showed you or however you found out about this podcast that you do the exact same thing. So if it was a review, if it was a post, if you do that, it would mean the world to me and you'll throw some good karma out there for another entrepreneur. Oh, it, it's, uh, it's a powerful motivator, but man, it sucked for you. And uh, parents, <laughs> I mean, it, it, I don't know who's watching this, but if, if you got a little one, I hope you rewind that story because I think that the, the parental fear can turn into a nightmare for our kids. And luckily for you, luckily, yeah. uh, maybe not luck, depending on your, I, I don't believe in luck on this situation, but the way you were wired, it turns yeah. you into a diamond. Yep. But I just want to call out, and I know this is heavy for the audience, but uh, there are a lot of kids that aren't wired like Alex, and that can destroy their life. You talk yep. about big-time depression. I mean, just crazy amounts of soul-crushing stuff. So, parents, we got to be careful here to not crush our kid's soul. Um, I'm glad it worked out for you. Um, yeah, as am I, and, you know, Dad... Love you. No, we love. Yeah. And by the way, <laughs> let me just say, yeah, none of this is dishonoring your father uh, because he's just as normal as every other American. But this is not a this is not a Middle Eastern thing. This isn't your dad. Thing. This is the normal pressure that parents feel. And we've got to call it out because it comes back full circle to the discussion we had earlier about college and pushing kids into stuff. And if there's a, a, another even wrinkle on this. I think understanding the motivation of the person who's influencing you to stay put yes. is useful because once you can under, like I think Pascal said uh, to understand is to forgive. Yeah, that's right. And so for, for me, when I understood that my father and I had the same goals for my life, he wanted me to be successful. I wanted me to be successful. It was just, we wanted to get there in different ways. And there's only one of us that actually has to go through it. And so I felt like my opinion mattered more. Mm. And so I think that if we can delineate those things, it is helpful in understanding that they are not adversaries. They actually want your best. This is me all half talking to the kids. Yeah. Uh, they want your best, you know, but sometimes and to the parents, the kid also wants their own best. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? And That's they right. might not, they haven't shared with you or they were afraid to share it with you. And in so doing, you might actually have an incomplete picture. Um, they did a, they did just as a fun side note, they did a survey on uh, political beliefs between whether they're inherited, you know, with kids and parents. What was funny is that, I think it was uh, like 45% of kids weren't actually sure of their parents' political beliefs when they actually were asked to name them. Of course. And then 75% of parents didn't know their kids' beliefs. And so we think that we know so much about these people that we spend all this time with, and yet on the things that matter most, the harder conversations, we know very little. Mm, so true. And so much could be dealt with easier if we sat down and parents shared their fears with their kids and the kids shared their fears. And uh, boy, it's it's so good. Alex, I recently read that 7 million American men aged 25 to 54 are not working, and it's on purpose. It's not because they were laid off or fired. They're choosing not to work. And I study this every day because I'm, I'm focused on the world of work, helping people do work they love uh, and then cover it from all angles. And so there's been economists are just scratching their head for the last two years coming out of the pandemic is we've seen the jobs gap, right? Where you had, but right now I think it's about 10.3 million jobs available, posted jobs, and then a little bit over 8 million unemployed, and that's down from 11. So we had this huge job gap. Well, now we're starting to see what's going on. 7 million men in America, all right, are choosing not to work. Now, you're a numbers guy, so we yeah. look at this and we go, okay, some of these are 
they've done, done well, right? Maybe in their 40s or 50s and they're cashed out. They're doing it. And you got some are living in their basement with mom and dad, right? Some are falling on hard times. I mean, there's a, there's a big group of people here, so I don't want to be too general. But at the same time, um, I don't mind telling you I think this is a crisis. I think it's a crisis. I think it's a soul-level crisis uh, for the majority of those 7 million. Does that concern you when you hear that? Do you have thoughts on why you think that is? The way we look at work, the way that you and I both believe that we were created to contribute through our work, I believe that. Uh, thoughts on that number? Because I was honestly, I I gasped. And who uses that word anymore? For all you young people, that's G-A-S-P-E-D. It's an old term, right? I, I, I emotionally was just like, whoa, 7 million dudes. What are your thoughts on that? So I think I would love to know the psychographics of the of the seven million. So I mean, sure, there's the retired folks, you know, who cashed out, whatever. Right. And then I think there's probably a subcamp. Now, are these people getting unemployment, or are they just getting no? Nothing? They're not getting unemployment. They are okay. they are just not in the system at all. They're just like so, happily not working. Or I don't know if okay. I could use that phrase. I don't think that's true. So that that brings up I would I would imagine two camps so one because they're being supported somehow that's right, right. so they're either being right. supported if it's not through government then they're being supported by family yep. or a spouse that's right in the other camp you've got people who are being supported by I would say like probably I'll say you've got the spouse supported ones yep. and then you've got the like family supported that's ones who correct. don't that's exactly right so if you were to look at those two things I actually think that despite the fact that the stay-at-home dad with the breadwinning mom has a use case and then sure. the other and and the the basement mom you know mom's basement kid i actually and i'm probably gonna get a lot of flack for this but i actually think it has i think it has stems all the way down to masculinity in general and how it's being redefined mm. uh, and so and this is again i'm not the big labeler of good or bad i'm just kind of saying what i at least what i observe is that i think being a man and working and providing 30 years ago, 50 years ago, were inextricably linked. Mm -hmm. Being a man and providing for your family were one and the same. That's right. One was a requisite for the other. You cannot call yourself a man if you do not provide for your family. That narrative has shifted. And so I think that in the uh, the, the spouse, you know, the, the wife works, dad stays at home. There are arguments for that. I'm very conservative when it comes to like how, how I like to live my life with my wife, et cetera. Like I don't imagine a world where I would not be the provider ever. Mm -hmm. It's just, and again, I, I was raised with very conservative Middle Eastern values. So like that's innate yeah. to my DNA, good or bad, who knows? But that's, I think men, based on my experience, men are built to work. That's that. That's right. On the other side with mom's basement, right? I think that there's an entire subset of men who feel completely hopeless and disheartened and feel like the system is out to get them. Now, there are there's the other side of the aisle that says, you know, if you're a man, you're born with all of these privileges and blah, 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 blah. We can say whatever we want. In my opinion, human suffering feels the same if you were the one suffering. That's right. And so a 10 out of 10 pain for one person from being beat up by their dad versus a 10 out of 10 pain for being sexually abused by an uncle. I'm just getting real here. 10 out of 10 still feels like 10 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Now we could make an argument that maybe just being physically abused, getting beat up versus being sexually abused, it's you'd rather be physically abused if you had the pick, right? right. But I think in terms of how humans experience reality, pain is pain. And so um, we like to objectify 
things and quantify them. But I think that for that subset, they still feel like they're being told all the time that they have these advantage advantages and yet aren't succeeding. And so it's easier for the ego to say, I'm not going to try because at least now I'm not failing. That's exactly right. And so I think a lot of people have opted out because the pain of failure is too great for them. And because they they feel like the chips are stacked against them and they feel t- their self-esteem is rock bottom because they can't keep promises to themselves. Right. And so they continue to per- perpetuate that. And I do think it's a massive problem. And I think that, again, as contrary as this is, I think I think guys, especially younger guys, need a lot of help. And I think there's a lot of anger. They do. And I think that like the proliferation of like Andrew Tate and some of those types of characters, I think that what they did was they gave a voice to some of that uh, disenfranchised group. It wasn't like eliminating Tate doesn't eliminate the root, mm. which is that a lot of men feel emasculated. They feel disrespected. Yeah. And to be fair, they are not worthy of respect because they have not done anything respectable. And so it's a bit of a chicken and the egg problem, but like someone needs to start the flame to say like, if you want the respect, you have to do the stuff that gets you it. As much as we could say, I wish the world gave unconditional love. I wish the world gave unconditional respect. It doesn't work that way. And so rather than lamenting the way the world is, we can see it for what it is and then play within those, those boundaries. I think you and I are probably both big on personal responsibility, right? So I don't want to in any way confuse, but I want to address what you said, Alex, because I think you're right. But I think a lot of the problem uh, lies on the first and second floor, not the kid, not the not the grown up kid in the basement on his screens getting the dopamine. And I think what's happened is is that we have bubble wrapped our kids to the point where the fear of failure is actually way worse than the failure itself. So there was a little study that said that it takes about twenty hours to become. You get the most amount of gains in a new skill in the first 20 hours. Mm-hmm. Like of learning it, you want to learn the guitar, you want to learn to sing, you want to learn a cold call. First 20 hours, you get by percentage of skill acquisition, you get the most in that first 20. The problem is that people will wait years to start the first hour. That's correct. Because they're so afraid of that, of the pain of not being good enough because they expect for everything to be easy. And I think it circles back to what we said at the very beginning. That's it. I mean, and that to me is the crisis. Uh, and, yeah. and certainly you, you, you addressed a lot of issues. It's not all one thing, but... My goodness, I, I think it, uh, it's not popular to say what you said anymore. I'm glad you said it. But there is inherently in a man a craving. Men and women are different. And I don't think that's controversial to say. Um, but there's a, craving, there's a craving in a man to, to go do something. And, uh, and, and so we're seeing a lot of this now. Where they, they've never been pushed. They've never been challenged to do anything. And it's a big, scary world out there. And as a, as a, so... I study a lot of human behavior stuff because I think it's really interesting oh, just yeah. for motivating workforces, persuading, et cetera. And so I have the belief that all humans are addicted. Everyone's addicted. Mm. And the question is, what are we addicted to? And so like I am addicted to the dopamine rush that I get or the serotonin, whatever, from lots of grit and then payoff, right? So I, I, I know, I understand that cycle well. And so I like to play it as many times as I can. I think that with some of this, this 7 million that you're talking about, they have... They also have an addiction, but they got addicted to something that was not pro-social or was not pro-work. And so to your point about the the, the video games in the basement, they are addicted to that. And yep. they do get dopamine. They yes. do get their dopamine in a way that is superior to anything that happens in the real world. And it's being enabled by the parents that continue to subsidize that addiction. Yeah, so true. Wow, good stuff there. Um, all right, I want to give you the final word here. Uh, just a fun question. I love to ask a lot of my guests, right? Who is your, how would you describe your demographic, your core audience? What, what would you say they are? Probably 25 to 35 year old. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
Nails. All right, that's I'm, that's, that's yeah, that's certainly mine on YouTube, which is YouTube in general. So let, let's say you're talking to every 25 to 35 year old dude in the world. All right, you got the loudspeaker, maybe you got the old classic, you know, horn, and you're talking to them. One message, only one, from your guts today. What do you tell them? You must pick a goal and do so much work that it would be unreasonable for you not to succeed. That if you were to look back, having done an amount of work that it would be virtually impossible for you to fail, that you said, I did that. And I can promise you that if you do that level of work, that volume of activity over an extended period of time, and to, to quote Neil Strauss, without thinking you're smarter than you are, uh, you will probably get there in half the time. But you have to start, and you have to start that first hour and not wait a decade to get there.